Welcome to Commerce Growth Lab, the community for commerce strategies and tactics. I'm your host, Franco Variano. This season, the podcast focuses on speaking with some of the most interesting and successful trendsetters, entrepreneurs, and leaders in commerce. Together, we'll dive into their unique stories, experience their highs and lows, and gain from their insights and experiences as they continue to shape this industry. It sounds simple, but really no one does that. Like they actually make video and really engage. They always just try to sell stuff and that's where they lose. Today we're chatting with Tyler Sullivan, the founder and owner of BombTech Golf, one of the fastest growing brands in golf. Tyler, or Sully as his friends call him, joins us to share his story, what it was like taking his passion from a side project to a full-time business, how the BombTech Golf brand grew from $1,000 five years ago to over $6 million last year, what he's working on with BombTech Golf Academy, and much more. So let's get started. Hey, Sully. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, likewise. Really excited to have you on to learn more about what it's been like building the Bomb Tech Golf brand. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study? What did I study? Not much, to be honest. Uh, I live in uh, in Williston, Vermont. Most people cannot find Vermont on the uh, on the map. It's a small a small state. I'm originally from Massachusetts. And then I went to the University of Vermont. I have a business degree from the University of Vermont. I was on the five-year plan, enjoyed my time here so much that I stayed here in Vermont. Yeah, that's how I kind of uh, get to live the dream. So I ski all winter, golf all summer, and spend time with my kids. And And I work a little bit. Awesome. That sounds like the way to do it. So, I mean, can you talk us through a little bit more of your career in business before you launched your own company? What were you focused on and what were some of the lessons you learned from this phase of your career? Yeah, so I um I was always in sales, you know, right out of school. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I had to make money. So I got a sales job selling photocopiers, which is probably the toughest sales job you could have, trying to cold call 100 offices a day, no one wants to see you. And I moved from sales job to sales job. I did that, then I did uh, medical device sales. So I was in the operating room mid-surgery selling to surgeons, which was interesting. Then I was a pharmaceutical sales rep, so I sold drugs, drug dealer. And then they kept on having layoffs every two years at the pharmaceutical company. And I just was like, you know what? I need a job that's more stable, right? So I, I went from a big corporate job to a small Vermont based company, which had never had a layoff. And I was a sales director there. Uh, it was about an hour away, had an hour commute every day. And this story is kind of crazy. So I took this job because I thought it was more stable, right? And I took it. I was there for almost a year. During that time, my wife became pregnant. She changed jobs. And I was like, oh, it's all good. You can work a little bit less. This job's good. Don't worry about it. Bomb Tech, I just had started about a year before that. And it was just, I mean, maybe two years before that. And it was a side hustle. You know, it was not full time at all. Revenues were low. I was just figuring it out. And the week before Thanksgiving, my boss came into my office and he goes, you need to come with me. I go, oh, God. And he walked me down to his office where HR was. And he goes, today's your last day. And your last paycheck was last week. 
I, I go, I need a second. So I went out, got a glass of water, and I said, well, you're going to pay me all my commissions, and you're going to pay me a one-month severance, or you can physically try to remove me. <laughs> so long story short, they paid me you know, my last paychecks and bonuses, whatever. And um, I came home early because it was, you know, I got fired. And uh, wife said, what the hell are you doing home? And she supported me and said, well, are you going to make bomb tech work? And I, uh, I didn't know if I could make it work, to be honest. And that, that was the kick in the ass I needed and the full-time commitment to make it work. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me and also the most stressful, but it was, is what I needed. So it's kind of a cliche story of getting fired and especially bad timing with the kid on the way, but that pressure will make someone like myself create, <laughs> create sales and revenue from thin air. Yeah, no kidding. What a crazy story. So as mentioned, you started Bomb Tech Golf a few years before that happened as a side project. So can you start off by telling us a little bit more about what motivated you to start it at the time? Yeah, I started 2012, I guess, is when I technically started it. And I did it straight, honestly, because my day job was not fulfilling and it was a passion of mine. I was obsessed with golf. I mean, you could find me at the driving range with like 40 drivers in my bag. I don't know. I just I just felt like it's something I wanted to do. And I launched the world's worst website, like so bad, I had like flashing signs all over it. I had a cartoon character of some guy that had huge muscles swinging a golf club. It was, I sold nothing off of it. And then it took me so many iterations. I started a Facebook page before Facebook was really like big up for business. And I think my third website, which still looked terrible, I finally got my first sale. And I remember I sold it when I was driving or I think I was on my boat, which is not an impressive boat by any means. And it, that really flipped the switch and changed how I looked at things. I said, holy shit, I just sold something while I was on a boat. So I, I just created sales and revenue, I, income without technically, yeah, I was doing stuff, but I wasn't in, in an office. You know, I wasn't going to work for a paycheck. It was just like that was the switch was like, oh, my God, I want more of that. So I just started, you know, a website selling other people's components, building custom clubs with other people's uh, products, wholesaling them, building them. And it was a slow grind. And then, you know, the first year, I think I did a thousand in sales. And the next year, that's when I launched my own brand. I think we did like 100K. And um, then we figured out not to go, I'll go into depth if you want, but we figured out social media and we're able to scale pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what we're going to dive into. But really quickly. The jump from 1,000 to 100,000 is pretty significant. So what was it like building an e-commerce brand at the time? What were some of the early challenges you had to overcome to get that ball rolling? Yeah, so I mean, like the journey didn't stop there. You know, last year we ended up doing like 6.3 million, you know, so it's we've been growing like two to 300% every year. And really the big, like at the time, I we really didn't, I, it was just me. So there was no we, but I didn't know what I was doing to be candid. I was just Honestly, using early Facebook when it was 100% reach to ask questions. When you're building something and you ask and literally get your potential customers involved, it created a buzz and engagement that as I was doing it, I was doing it just because I wanted the info. I truly wanted, okay, what, what, uh, you know, what color shaft, what, you know, what loft do you play? What driver do you play now? What would you want out of a new driver? I was asking questions for my own benefit so I could figure out what they wanted. And in doing so, built a, a pretty uh, engaged tribe, a small tribe, but 
that allowed me when I had my uh, first driver. So I engineered the driver with the University of Vermont with a group of students, the first version, which took a whole year. And that's a whole nother story. But as I was doing it, I was just documenting and telling people like, hey, we're designing this. This is when it's going to come out. What questions do you have? Or, you know, what color do you want it? Or all the things just kept asking questions. So when it came to launch date, I said, well, who wants some? (laughs) And because I've been asking questions the whole time, I actually did a pre-order and it was tiny. I wasn't running ads, wasn't doing any of that. And I pre-ordered like 10 grand worth of product. And it was before the product was even done, right? So I was able to actually pay for my first small production run by doing a pre-order and literally just by asking people and talking to people as if I was having a conversation. And that's early on how we did it. And then really from there on, Facebook has been at the core core for us. We've got 106,000 fans on Facebook. We've got a Facebook group, which is separate from the page of 28,000. And from there, our next big home run was I started doing Facebook video as soon as it came out. I was making videos that were, again, backyard, me swinging a club, terrible quality and just getting engagement and then literally commenting on every comment. Like I had one post that it was me in the backyard. I swung the driver and it sounds like a shotgun goes off because I hit it pretty hard. I I just post online. I think I did boost that for like 300 bucks and it got like 10,000 comments. So what I did is I literally went through every single comment and said either thank you for the feedback or I just asked them, oh, what do you like? Literally, whatever it was, I asked them, you know, what do you mean? How can we help? Okay, cool. Anything to just say, just to acknowledge them. And that's how it all happened. That year, I think we went from, you know, 100K to 450. And then the next year was when video came out and we went from 450 to 1.2 million. And that year we started, we figured out ads. That's, we went from 1.2 to 4.2. And then last year went to 6.3. And really, there was a lot of systems we built between the one and six guys we hired. But literally the whole core of it is just engagement and talking to your fans. Like that's the core of it. Wow. There's a lot packed into that story. And you guys have obviously been through a lot to get here. So maybe diving a bit further into building your own products, your own brand, asking folks for feedback. What was that entire process really like for you? So I started building my own clubs using other components, which is like, you know, I'd buy driver heads and shafts at wholesale. I would build them custom to order myself in my basement, assemble them. And then I just like I had a number of orders come in that the manufacturer didn't have the supply and had to cancel orders. And then I had clubs break like where the manufacturer of that club was at their fault. And then I had to cover it just became a hassle. So I was talking to one of my buddies from college. Who's, we lived together. He was actually in the same frat as myself, Ben. And I was like, dude, I'm making some money selling these clubs, but I really want to make my own brand. And we joked, you know, I was the worst student at the college. There's no way they would want to work with me. So he, he's like, well, why don't you just ask the University of Vermont? So I called him up. I said, hey, you know, I was a student there. I don't know if there's any engineering programs you have, but, you know, I'm, I'm trying to start my own brand, but I need some help with designing a driver. And they said, sure, we've got a capstone project. You can apply here. You can work with a group of students and faculty. And that's what we did. And that was 2012. I had no expectations, no, no reality. And I, I worked with the students I was so hands-on compared to everyone else who was out of control. I found a manufacturer through another guy that was making product that I liked. I just said, hey, can you refer me? 
which it took me about 500 phone calls, but he did. And I took their design, which was not perfect, and I sent it to the manufacturer, had prototypes made, finished prototypes. And this story is kind of nuts. So I, it was all this anticipation. It took about a year. And we finally got the first prototype finished head done. And I built it, you know, in like two seconds. So I was like, I got to get out to the course. Like I was trying, I was like blowing on the epoxy, trying to get it to dry quicker. So I, the club gets built. I run to the course. I'm wearing like a hoodie, sunglasses, so no one recognizes me because I don't want anyone to know what I'm hitting. And because I, I didn't know if it was going to work or not. And I hit it. I go, holy shit. I crushed it. I bombed it, you know, like 300 yards in the middle. I hit it again, hit it again. And this golfer is like two bays down. He goes, he goes what are you hitting? I go, oh, it's uh, it's a grenade. I made it. <laughs> he's like, he's like, dude, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, and I gave him, that was my first pitch. I go, well, I designed it with UVM, blah, blah, blah. You're welcome to hit it. And he goes, all right, cool. And he, he's a better golfer than I was. And he, and he has no reaction when he hits it. I'm like, oh, shit, he doesn't like it. So he swings it a couple times. And I go, well, what do you think? He goes, how's that possible? I go, what? He goes, I just hit that longer and better, straighter than my driver. <laughs> and actually, he was the first guy to buy one. The first guy to swing it was the first guy to buy one. So that gave me a shred of confidence. And really, that's how it all started. So we started with that product with UVM. And actually, since then, not every product is designed with UVM, but we actually work with the University of Vermont every year. So we actually have two groups of students we're working with this year, and we're designing a fishing lure and a pair of skis. So not even golf-related, because I'm a huge skier and fisherman. So just making products that I like. So that's really how the whole process was to get started. It, it was a lengthy process. It took about you know a year and a half to get our first 50 drivers made. And um, I was lucky enough to have a small but loyal audience that had been following me as we were documenting the journey that I started and was able to sell them once we got them. So that's kind of answers the manufacturing question there. I don't know if I answered the whole question. Absolutely. What a crazy story. I could only imagine the feeling of spending all that time working on your own product to, you know, then go out to the range and have the first person just love it. It was amazing. It could have gone bad, but it was it was really because in my own head, I was like, oh, man, I, I'm loving it, but I'm obviously biased. Right. So that was really couldn't have worked out better for that. Yeah, for sure. So you've mentioned a little bit throughout the course of the episode, some of the tactics you use to build a community. But what additional advice would you have to share with other e-commerce entrepreneurs who are looking to build their own online brand? Yeah, I mean, my thing with selling stuff online is do something you love because it's not easy, right? It's funny. I used to get contacted a lot to help out and do um, consulting. I don't actually do that right now. And everyone just wanted to make a quick buck that I see. Like, oh, I want to sell stuff online. E-commerce is hot. You know, let's sell stuff. Let me let me sell uh, women's leggings and I'm a guy. Like, you don't know shit, excuse my language, about women's leggings, right? So just... Do what you're passionate about, regardless of the money, and the money will follow. Like, that's just as an overall concept. It's just do what you love, and it will happen. And really, advice, I mean, you got to be in for the long haul and not try to make the quick buck or it'll never survive. And how really we grew other than, and that really was the core of it, is video and engaging. It sounds simple, but really no one does that. Like, they actually make video and really engage. They always just try to sell stuff, and that's where they lose. But influencer marketing back in 2013 and 14 had a, a huge impact before they called it influencer marketing. We did a lot of grassroots types of activities where we'd send product out to YouTubers, Instagram. And back then, it was a lot of forums. 
So go to communities that already exist, whether it's golf or whatever you're trying to sell, and build relationships with those forum owners or admins and send them product to try and see if they'd be willing to spread the word in their community. So I did a lot of that like old school, now it's called old school guerrilla marketing, where I'd join a forum, send product to one of the, you know, some of the guys or let them test it and literally answer questions one by one every day they came in and build those relationships at scale, kind of. That was really at the core of it. It's just getting some product out there, getting third-party cred, and then just be willing to do anything for the customer. That was probably the hardest thing I learned because early on when you are not selling a lot of product, you know, we had a 60-day guarantee since I started because we were confident in the product. But every time I got a return, (laughs) I would get emotional. I'd be like, oh my God, he didn't like the club. And it, it would hurt because he was literally taking food from like my kid, you know, every return. But if you're going to sell anything online and build a brand, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to make the customer happy. And really, I, I don't do the customer service anymore, but that's at the core of everything that we've done that allow us to sell more product and launch more, you know, when we have a launch, have it be successful because we take care of our customers so well, we, they know we'll take care of them and have their back no matter what. It's not about selling stuff. It's about building community and taking care of your customers and then them being the word of mouth because that's really when the scale became not easy, but easier was, oh, hey, I saw your ad on Facebook, but guess what? I saw your ad, but I saw a guy golfing and he had your club, but not only did he have your club, but he was an advocate and told me all about it and wouldn't shut up. <laughs> and that really, you know, by taking the extra time to make sure every single customer is happy, which is tough sometimes, builds those brand advocates and that word of mouth has drives sales for us every day. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's some really solid advice and you hit the nail on the head about being passionate because it's not easy. Not easy. So what have been some of the biggest challenges for you as the company has scaled from $1,000 to over $6 million in the past few years? What have been some of the biggest operational or logistical challenges you've had to overcome with a physical goods company? Well, logistics, if you want to get in that, it is has been a huge challenge. Now you're bringing me way back, not in flashbacks. When I first started from a logistics standpoint and how the company looks now till then, when I was doing custom drivers, you know, I, I would assemble the the head, the shaft, and the grip together in my basement, right? So when I first started, I was I would be on live chat, answering the phone, doing emails, assembling clubs, packing clubs, shipping clubs all myself, right? Oh my god! I worked with, when my first kid was born. I worked twenty hours a day, seven days a week for for two years. That was it. There was no people like, yo, hey, did you watch that that game or TV show? Nope, no idea what you're talking about because I've been working all day every day. It had to be done. You know, I mean, that's the type of effort it took to get it to where it was. And at one point I realized, hey, I can't be building these clubs myself anymore because I started to get to a point where I had a small Subaru Legacy and I would fill up the entire back seat full of golf clubs. And I thought I was the, I thought I was the man. So I'd go to the office with, you know, 25 clubs in my back seat, all these boxes. I got so good I could carry 10 clubs at a time. And I would joke with the the post office ladies who kind of hated me because I kept them so busy. I'm like, yo, dropping off some grenades today. And no one thought that was funny ever, but I did. But to go from that, we moved to a fulfillment center, manufacturing place in Rutland, Vermont, that would hand assemble for us and then ship for us. That was step one, right? So that helped alleviate it. But then when we started scaling up, 
the custom orders became so complicated and difficult, they were not truly a fulfillment shop, that our lead times were six to eight weeks. So we're shipping on six to eight week lead times, dealing with customer service issues. It was a nightmare. So I made the call. I said, you know what? Why the hell are we offering custom? Everyone's confused anyways. They didn't even know what they wanted to order. Let's simplify. Let's get rid of custom. So that was step one. I said, let's simplify. Let's make standard options. Because at one point, there was like six drop downs just to order one product. And no one knew what they wanted. So I said, you know what? Let's get rid of that. And then I said, all right, step one, make it simple. Step two, we moved to another fulfillment center. So this is two fulfillment centers in one year, right? I moved there. We realized, okay, Massachusetts, which was, I, I want to be close enough so I could strangle them if there was a problem. And we started shipping, you know, less SKUs, more simple. So that was good. But then we realized, oh my God, the shipping rates these guys have are, are massive. My bill that month was like 70 grand. I was like, oh my God, this is, this makes no sense for me. Clubs were shipping. I said, we got to move again. So we moved a third time, three times in two years to what is now our final fulfillment center. And they're in California. So now what we do is we ship everything for our manufacturer overseas in container loads, now fully assembled over there with SKUs, less options. And these guys are experts. Our shipping rates are so much lower because of their size. So that was the one thing. We went from super small custom shop, medium size fulfillment or small size fulfillment with high shipping rates in a wrong location. Learned that the hard way. Then moved again to a large fulfillment center with better shipping rates. And now these guys are experts. We got a 99.9% accuracy rate. Our shipping costs are literally half what they normally would be because of their size. Making those moves while we're selling product was insanely difficult. Had a ton of customer service challenges. But now we're at a point where we can scale up to any size we need. Last year, we did over well over 100,000 golf clubs in a year which I'd have to drive a lot, of, a lot of times to the post office and a super legacy to do that. <laughs> so now the, the business is more hands-off in the fact that I don't personally do anything with regards to fulfilling shipping product. We don't touch any of that. All I work on now is big picture ideas, things that move the needle. And that took a long time for me to figure out. And really the real big push from a task standpoint of what I should be doing was with my second kid where I said, okay, the business is at a better spot. I need to take time off because I owe my wife and I owe it to my new newborn because I have another kid now. So what I did is I actually took like six weeks off before the kid even came. And what do you think happened to sales when I did that? I'm guessing they went up. They went up. That's awesome. Because I was doing tasks that I really shouldn't be doing. I was doing day-to-day stuff that there was no benefit. So I really learned that I need to focus on big picture things that actually move the needle and get out of the way of our customer service team, our operations guys, let them do the day-to-day task. And that was the biggest learning curve. And that's the only reason I believe we went from a couple mil, four mil to six was that I was out of the day-to-day, you know, phone call, email, all the tasks that really I should not be doing. So that was a big mind shift. And right now, my my big thing is what new programs, like we just launched an academy membership-only program. That's kind of the goal of where we're trying to go is recurring revenue. So we don't have to be reliant on physical product. That's still going to be the core no matter what. So we just launched bombtechgolfacademy.com where you can pay like $9.97 a month. You get lessons online special deals on clubs, private Facebook group. The goal is to have recurrent revenue built up to pay overhead, pay the basic bills. So that's the type of ideas I work on now, product launches and then just big picture stuff that really has an impact. Anything that doesn't have a big impact or is going to have 
a positive change, hopefully positive. I just don't touch because it's not worth it, right? So that those, man, every year, every week is different. But those two changes, fulfillment and my task, has allowed us to to grow and continue to grow. Very cool. And so you touched on a few of those big picture ideas, but what's next for you and Bomb Tech Golf leading into the summer this year? Physical product is always the core of Bomb Tech. You know, that's why we have so many customers, so many fans. And the goal is to continue to launch products that will help their game. So we expand our product line without getting too wide because we really want to sell product that turns quick, right? But my goal is to have 20,000 members in our academy and actually have a buyer's club. We just started doing this. So inside this group, I want to give so much value in terms of online lessons and then other golf products you would already buy at special prices. So I started to collaborate and bring out bring in other products on a dropship model that we can offer at a special, because it's a closed membership, discount price that these guys are going to buy anyways. Golf balls, GPS systems for their golf course, speaker, like all these golf-specific things that we don't make, but we should offer anyways, and they can now save money on, and that will help in such a tremendous way with cash flow. So really, that that's my main focus, is figuring out how to do that. We have tried some, you know, from a tactical standpoint, we've set up some, tried click funnels where we do upsells of membership, which is, has a pretty good take rate, and then just trying to figure out all the technical difficulties with that stuff. But that's the plan, is keep doing what we're doing on the equipment side, grow the academy more, and then lastly, we want to be less dependent on ads. So ads, we spend a lot of money on ads, and I'm really trying to figure out how we can spend less on ads and still drive revenue, therefore increasing more profit so we can launch more products. Yeah, that makes sense. Really looking forward to seeing how you guys are able to continue that growth over the course of this year. That's it, man. Simple stuff. So on that note, are there any resources like books, videos, blog posts that you've recently discovered or keep coming back to? You know what? I honestly say nothing because... Once you start going down that rabbit hole, you just are going to get so confused because stuff changes so rapidly and there's so much marketing stuff out there that's not not relevant a week from now. I would say go out and just just try, you know, whatever you want to do, just start doing it. I don't always listen to Gary Vee from a tactical standpoint, but if you can watch anyone, he takes action, right? So he's constantly producing content making things happen by doing it, not just by talking about it. So he's one that I follow by action, not by guidance. Um, so that'd be maybe someone just to see what he's doing. So not to give you a resource, but <laughs> I just, I think there's so much crap out there and it changes so quickly. It's tough to give anything, you know? Yeah, that makes complete sense. And so I guess you kind of answered this next question in a way, but I'll let you elaborate in case there's anything else you'd like to add. Do you have any final words of advice or thoughts to leave us with? Yeah, I would just say, you know, if I were I were to start an e-commerce business now, I would keep it super simple. Wouldn't even try to run any ads of any sort. I would just try to start posting and making videos on a platform you're comfortable with, whether that's Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, whatever platform on social media that you're most comfortable with. Just start making content and talking about whatever you love and let that guide you and let your fans guide where you take your business, whether you're, um, you know, straight up a YouTuber where you sell advertising or do product deals, do physical product, whatever it may be, just start creating and see where it goes because it's never going to go where you think it's going to go. You know, as you learn, as you post, as you engage, but it's, it's really a simple process. Make content. If the content's good enough, people will engage. When they engage, you engage back. You'll build an audience if you're, if you're, you know, if you, you've done a good enough job and earned the right to. And once you build that audience, 
then you can monetize it. But really, do something you love, make content, engage with those people that engage with you, and uh, and have fun. Completely agree. What a way to end the episode. Sully, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today, man. I really appreciate having you on the show. Yeah, brother. No, I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk soon, I'm sure. Thanks for listening. Commerce Growth Lab is recorded and produced by me. There's no massive team behind it, and so I'd love your help in growing the show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show or share a link on social media. You can find out more about the show, our guests, and everything commerce-related by visiting our site at www.commercegrowthlab.com. Follow us on Twitter at ComGrowthLab, that's com with two M's, or join the community on Facebook at Commerce Growth Lab. We couldn't do this show without your awesome support, so thanks for listening.